Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. This is going to be episode number. I uh, just had it up seventy-two. I have got Ryder Porter on here with me, and a really good friend of ours named Clay Currington, and we are going to be talking about the the guys that want to film with the handy cams. We get a lot of questions about that, and Clay has a lot of experience with that, more so than Ryder and I. So we've um, we've wrote some notes, and we're going to talk to him about his um, his start in freelance um, freelance production with some uh, different TV shows that are out there. We're going to talk to him about how he's still in film school. We're going to talk to him about a bunch of different stuff. So here is Clay. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah, you want it? what's up clay how are you buddy hey man how's it going oh pretty good ryan here ryan and i are sitting here in the little podcast studio here at the office talking to you Finally got day when you guys uh, have some time off. Well, and can actually not well, actually podcast. No, we don't have time off. We're literally cutting out time to do this because we love you. That's how much we love you. Oh, I feel special this <laughs> beautiful Friday morning. Yeah, no, Ryer's been Ryer's been editing like a madman. I've been editing like a madman and trying to get people on the phone to get answers for other things. But hey, what else is new? <laughs> how are you, buddy? Um, not, not bad. I'm enjoying the balmy 85 degree weather here in the, the end of November. So yeah, I, I can't complain about that. It's actually really nice there. Ryder was talking about that the other day about California falls and Georgia falls. Falls not bad here, is it? No, it's not too bad. It's beautiful. I like it more. I like, I don't like it when it's warm in the fall. It doesn't feel right. You went and rode your bike the other day and had on too many clothes, didn't you? I did, but that always happens. It's just the same as with elk hunting. You always start out and like you wake up and you go, holy crap, it's real cold. I'm going to put all the stuff on. Then you start hiking or riding your bike, and it all comes off, and you have nowhere to put it. I'm the opposite. And you just got things hanging off you. I'm the opposite. I go as light as I can and just get really good and cold. If I know I'm going to be moving, I don't wear I – don't, I mean, I go really light. But See, I'm, I have that opposite being here in Florida where it's always like 85 90% humidity. When I go to all these Midwest places to film, I'm so used to sweating that I never put any clothes on on my way to the stand or wherever I'm going. And then I actually never warm up because the humidity is not as high, so I always get cold. Yeah. Well, uh, Clay, give me a little intro on yourself. Um, I know you're still in you're still in film school or production school. What do they even call it? Well, what's the technical well, term for it? it? Uh, it's yeah. I go to a regular college here in, in Jacksonville. Um, it's a four year university, but the degree is digital media. So basically they have eight or 10 professors that can teach anything from video production to animation or whatever. So you have to take your baseline just like you would at any other degree, uh, your like core classes. So you have to take so many graphics classes and digital design classes and video classes, but then um, all of your electives and stuff can be focused in one specific area. And I've actually chosen, I mean, I'm doing a lot more um, like visual graphics, like After Effects and things like that versus the 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 video production classes because actually believe it or not went into a a junior level video production class uh, my first year and day one walking in was how to turn on the camera put the battery in and put the sd card in jesus christ so i figured um i was a little bit above where everybody else was so 
I was lucky enough, I have some professors that are really cool and they got me signed out of and tested out of a lot of the video classes that were required so I could spend a lot more time learning the After Effects stuff, um, which I know that's something you really want to get into as well because we've talked about that. That's something Ryan and I both want to get into. We want mm-hmm. to. We were actually talking about this morning how we want to take a lighting class, a color correction class, and I would love to have the time to do an After Effects class because... Right now, we sub most of that out. Some of our, you know, definitely our higher-end stuff. Um, and we do a little bit of it in here, but everything we do is through a template just because it's it's a different animal. It's, it's a completely different world once you start talking about working in things in 3D space. And then for, for those of you that don't understand, so After Effects. and So we edit video in Premiere Pro. And then if you want to create graphics or do, you know, do certain, um, certain motion movements, certain... Um, text movements, certain things graphically that you see in video, those are done generally in After Effects. And they are two completely different workflows. They look completely different from one another. And they don't look the same when you go to edit. They don't work the same when you edit. Like, whereas you're editing in Premiere, essentially you're looking at a 2D, you know, 2D space. So you see your video, you lay video, you cut video, you lay video on top of other video, you mess with audio. Well, in Premiere, you can work in three dimensions, and that After Effects. Yeah, After, after sorry, effects. After Effects, and that scrambles my brain. It just, I'm just not. My wife, my wife tells me it's like organic chemistry. So she took organic chemistry in college. She was a biology major. Why everyone would want to be a biology major, I'll never understand. But she said that organic chemistry was that way. Essentially, what they had to do is they had to take molecules, and they had to show how they moved in three dimensional space. And I'm like. Yeah, that's not not for me, you know, and that's kind of how I feel about After Effects. Yeah, it's basically like if you like for people that film in 4K and they edit in 1080, how you can zoom that image or that video clip in and out and move it side to side to frame it however you want. You can basically do that in After Effects, but you have all those axes in a three dimensional space. Yeah. Is yep. basically what it is, and it's a bunch of advanced. It's it's like ninety five percent keyframing. Once you have your actual like visual piece that you're going to use, it's all keyframing, but it's it's a pain to learn. Oh, I can only imagine. I'm I'm sure it's extremely tedious. Yes, it like to do like a twenty five or thirty second um like graphic title like name card or something. It'll probably take like to make the template. It'll probably take seven or eight hours. But then once you have the template, you're just changing the colors and things like that inside the template. Yeah. Well, uh, and you and you are a former baseball player as well, so me and you uh, have that in common as well. Yeah, I went. I played right there at Lagrange College. It's just north of Columbus. It's probably not too far from you. Yeah. What? When? When were you playing there? What years? I'm sure um, I know you're a lot younger my, than I am. My my freshman fall was 2014 because uh, I graduated high school in 14, and then um, my last fall there was the fall of 16. Um, I got hurt and decided uh, I'm, I'm going to hang it up because. The team when we when I was there we sucked. My freshman year we were fourteen and twenty seven. My sophomore year we were like twenty and thirty or something like that. And then what do you know? It the next three years I'm not there. They went back to back to back conference championships. Well, it's because so. you weren't there, man. They just needed they needed rid of you so they could start winning they got some rid ball of games. Cancer. That's what my family tells me. They got rid of the cancer. <laughs> God, that's so sweet. That's the meanest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I love it though. So you also own your own production down there in Florida and do some do some video work, right? So tell me about that. 
Yeah, I don't do the amount of hunting I st- content I wish I did. Just I know you and I have had this conversation. Just being located where I am um, and doing school full time, it's very hard for me to uh, take the extra two or three days it drives on each end of a trip to drive somewhere like Iowa or Missouri um, because of school. And it's just so expensive to fly nowadays that um, a lot of companies don't want to pay for me to fly all the time. So I end up doing turkey season i get quite a bit of content down here like last minute stuff because i'm already down here and it's easy for me to get there last minute but i do a lot of fishing stuff down here for guides and outfitters and things like that um and then i hate to say it but i'm in the wedding game pretty big um everybody starts there though man that's where everybody starts i I mean i did weddings the problem with that is being down here in Florida, the best time of the year, the most beautiful weather is the end of October, mm-hmm. November, and December. Yep. And that's when all the good hunting is. So yep. like this year, from October 25th until November 11th, I had five weddings I did. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I, and I tell people all the time, if there's one place to live worse than Georgia to produce outdoor content, it's Florida. So you got yep. you you take the cake on that one. Unless, unless it's fishing. If you want to do fishing content, live yeah. in Texas or live in Florida. But that other is than true. That, that is true. Yeah. Other than that. So, but, and then another really good place to get into if you're just starting out is real estate. I do a lot of real estate stuff. Um, you really need the, the higher end homes to do videos for, for it to be lucrative enough for the, the real estate agent or the agency to pay for that video. But like living here in Jacksonville, we got all the Jacksonville Jaguar fans and um, I've done a couple of videos for a couple of the ex-owners and their two or three million dollar homes. So if you can get those bigger homes, that's definitely and you live in an area with those bigger homes, that's definitely a place that you could start as well. Because those are all once you've done one, they're all the same. There's, you can't be creative with them. So they're super easy. You can knock those out. Well, who are some of the who are some of the people that you work with, um, you know, some of the you know, the fishermen, the, some of the hunting stuff. I know you just got done doing a uh, freelance gig with wildlifers, correct? Yeah, I did. Um, they were doing. They were filming a giant thing um, for the Badlands Film Festival, so all their producers and production guys were there. And Dan, the host, had been waiting 14 years to draw in Iowa, and he finally did. So they had me. By the time they contacted me, and I was in Iowa, it was less than 12 hours. So that was real last minute. That gum. Um, but I know you and I, we did that fishing thing that Ryer got, got if, to be a part of. That was an can, absolute blast. Yeah, Ryer can, Ryer can speak to that one. I'm he not did. sure. I'm not sure I'd classify it as a blast. No, <laughs> no. It Whatever was. the opposite of a blast is like, it was, uh, it was just short of sinking that boat really. Dude, and the amount was, of fun that we're having. It was, oh God. It was when so you bad. have someone that was born and raised in Florida and they complain about it being hot. On that shoot, you know it was hot. It was so bad. There was no breeze that day. There was zero wind movement whatsoever that day. And Ryer went back, and um, tell us about when you went back. How good was it then? It wasn't good at all. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I hate fishing. We, I, I mean, we, if I, I needed another reason. We barely, we caught one. We caught one shoal bass, but, you know, of course, when we caught it, it was when I was repositioning the camera, and this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> the whole, all the rest of the trip, I had the camera on. What is it? Cash record. Yeah. Pointed at Jamie, and the one time that the boats were getting unaligned, and I had to kind of like switch around on the boat. 
That's when that's when he gets the bite. And that's what we call Murphy's Law. Yep. Yep. That'll happen every single time. Murphy's a son of a gun, I'll tell you yeah, what. So um so you work with a couple of um couple different outdoor brands, you do some wedding stuff. So if you had to pick one, if you had to pick one thing to that you're most passionate about the film, what is it? You know, is it a oh, specific species? Is it a certain place? What is it? Well, all I've ever, I've never done um, mule deer or elk. Um, I've just done whitetail and turkey, and I love. Um, I don't know if it's I love outdoor content more than anything else, but like I, like most of us, I was a hunter first, uh-huh. so I know what I know what I want to see when I watch it because I'm a hunter, um, and I just like being outside. So being cooped up when I do weddings or real estate videos is it's just not my thing. So it would definitely be the hunting and fishing stuff. If I had to choose between hunting and fishing. Um, it would be hunting, but money making wise, I would definitely choose fishing because you can fish twelve months out of the year. Yeah, and you can you can and it doesn't burn you down like hunting yeah, does. Well, yeah, well, I, I'm gonna assume you've done a lot of the freshwater stuff, and if bass aren't biting, it sucks. At least here with all the salt water we have, if one species isn't biting, we can go find something to catch at some point in yeah. the day. Yeah, I've not done. I say I've done fishing. I've probably done. I'm trying to think like. I don't know, four or five, maybe six fishing trips my whole career, and none of them, one of them was okay. The rest of them were like, dude, you can have that. I don't have any desire to do that again. It's one of those deals to where, I don't know, I I grew up fishing, but I grew up pond fishing for catfish and brim. You know, it wasn't very hard. You sat on a dock, you put a worm on a hook. Like, I never, never fished for bass. I never went trout fishing. Um, Just not my thing and i'm i'm not all about that catch and release life i think we should i think you should kill what you catch type deal you know that's my that's my whole deal but whatever yeah i'd really i really want to do a um get hired for some type of video out west doing like fly fishing for salmon or something in the mountains i think that's something you could make look really pretty oh yeah i'm sure it's hard not to make something look good out west that's just yeah it's just a beautiful place to be so um handy camps so let's get into kind of what we wanted to talk to you about and kind of what you reached out to me about wanting to talk about because essentially we get and when I say handicam, let's define what what, what you, when you when you hear handicam Ryer, what do you think? Uh I usually think of they're just kind of the smaller you can almost one hand it sort of uh no interchangeable lens. Um I guess just yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of a because you could well, th- maybe say an NX five U kind of falls in the candy cam, but I think a candy cam. What the what most guys that listen to like, this podcast that aren't you know maybe they don't know model numbers, they don't know names, they don't know things. I think a handy cam is something you can go to Walmart and buy. Yeah, I think it's something that you can look in that case of cameras and say that one has a button that I can zoom in and out, mm-hmm. and it has a record button. That's a handy cam. It's it's a camera that you can literally hand to a ten year old, and they would figure it out. You know, it's not a what. So the difference to me between a handy cam, then there's a prosumer camera, then yeah. there's a cinema camera. So to me, there's three tiers. A, a handy cam is something that a guy's going to go buy to try and learn how to even get started in this, how to roll some video and watch it back. Then you've got like a prosumer type camera, which I would say is NX5U. 
the old AX 2000s, that type thing. That's, it's a much nicer, much more expensive camera that has manual functions, but it doesn't have a detachable lens. Then you get into a cinema camera, which is our FS7, FS5, uh, F5, RED, all those things that have detachable lenses. There isn't an auto foc- There isn't an auto function, really. Everything is running manually. There's not an option to run in auto. Well, the FS7 has the oh crap button. You ever it, had to press that one? I can't believe that is even offered. I mean, seriously. it just got the one full, full override. Dude, I accidentally Holy hit that. Holy crap. What is happening? Button? I hit that button one time <laughs> and I'm reaching and like hitting my shutter and my iris and trying, and then like nothing is happening. I'm freaking out. I'm like, my camera just died on me. And I look in that green button on the sides glowing. I'm like, <laughs> how did that get hit? So to me, that's what a handy cam is. So uh, we get a lot of questions from a lot of our listeners asking, you know, what's the best camera to use? You know, a camera that I can afford that's under $1,500. And that, that's going to fall into the handy cam. I don't have much experience with them. Ryer doesn't have a whole lot of experience with them, but Clay says that he does. So kind of walk us through what your experience is and, you know, some of your thoughts, uh, you know, about what we just said. Yeah, so the the first camera I ever bought, um, I saved up. It was a Canon XA10. So it's basically like a, it's got the body of a handy cam and the flip out screen and the fixed digital zoom lens, but it has an attachable handle that'll give you, um, dual XLR video, um, audio and you can run it in manual or in full auto and I always ran it in manual um, but the, there's a there's a few limitations to them if you're self-filming um, I would definitely say save the money um, and skip the DSLR route and go to like a handy cam type thing because you can buy the ver zooms and attach it to your fluid head handle and you can basically hold your bow or gun in one hand. Yeah, which is like uh, a, a remote, a remote that runs Zoom and everything on. Like, right. So you've got your camera, then you've got the handle of your tripod, and there's actually a remote that runs a cord to your camera that you can run. You know, you can run Zoom and record and everything. So you don't, you can essentially run the camera with one hand if you wanted to. Right, and that's what I ran for probably two years because I was filming like myself and my buddies for two years before I started um, actually charging people. Um, And I didn't start making money for a long time, but um, making money back from what I spent on gear. Um, And that's when I really, that's when I went to the DSLR um, just because it gave me the, the option of photo and video when I needed it. But if you're someone that just wants to film your hunts, and like show your buddies or show your wife or show your kid, I would definitely save the money and get something where you can attach um, some type of like Verizon remote um, like that um, and either a shotgun mic or I would almost, if you're filming yourself like for deer, prefer you run a, um, a lav mic over a shotgun mic in my yeah. opinion. Well, yeah, well, and a lav mic, a lot of, and when we say lav mic, most guys will We'll understand it as a, a wireless mic. So it's a there's a receiver that attaches to the camera, and then there's a uh, a transmitter that goes on you. Essentially, it's just a little battery or a little mic pack that has a wire that runs up with a microphone at the end, and that sends a wireless signal to a receiver on the camera that that receives the wireless audio. And the reason that's so much nicer is it's going to first of all it's going to give you way cleaner audio. Second of all, if someone is filming you, they can monitor that audio and you can communicate. And it's going to get ambient audio too. A lot of people don't 
realize that a wireless mic will get ambient audio. It's not going to get ambient near as well as a shotgun mic will. But um, if you if you're going to spend the money on one, save it and get a good get, get a good wireless mic or a lav mic. Yeah, and even if like if you are self filming and you're you're focused on the deer and your camera's focused on the deer and you're filming the deer but you want to say something to the camera you can still hear it and not have to talk loud and you'll be able to hear it back in your audio in your audio file on your clip Mm -hmm. Um, and you won't have to swing that camera all the way around so that the shotgun mic can hear you yeah which is another reason now if you're gonna film turkeys with it ditch the and you can only afford one mic ditch the the lav mic in my opinion and get the shotgun mic yeah yeah turkeys are turkeys their own breed um, so what would you say are a couple of pros and cons of having a handy cam versus, say, a DSLR or, you know, a different camera? Um, I, well, I think the pros, number one, is going to be price um, and size. Number two, for someone that's just getting into it, you're not going to have a bunch of buttons that you have to learn how to use or be scared to hit the wrong button and not have to get back. It really, if you if you need it to get a video, it's on the handy cam, and if you don't need it and it's more like a customizable feature it's probably not going to have it which can also be a con they don't really have a lot of customizable buttons and quick menu buttons and things like that but a lot of them have that the record the screen the touch screen the adjustable iris and shutter speed the manual focus ring um and then a lot of the ones in that one thousand to two thousand dollar range have that attachable handle That'll give you like phantom shotgun power and all of the manual um, audio controls and the XLR controls with them as well. Yeah, I think a handy cam is very well suited to someone who just thinks they want to get into filming and wants to learn how to use a camera, how to hold a camera, understand what framing is, how to frame your subject in the you know in the in the in the frame, I guess, and then um, go out and. And the great thing about a handicam is they're not too terribly much money. So if something were to happen to them, they get rained on. You're not out, you know, ten thousand dollars by spending it on an FS7 or something. Um, it's a great learning tool. And if you get it in HD, you know, when you start upgrading your cameras, you know, you get an HD handicam or a 4K handicam, you can start using that as a second angle. You can start using that. It's always going to have a place in your arsenal. So I think it's a really good stepping stone for somebody that's learning. Uh, learning how to do it because there's a lot of things that you can do. There's a lot of things you can do with your cell phone to improve your production, you know? And we've talked about this before. How many times, you know, what what would you rather have? Would you rather have a producer that understands how to tell a great story with an iPhone or a guy that's never ran a camera with a red? Which one would you rather have? Well, you want somebody who can tell a story. Yeah, you want somebody who can tell a story. Because if, if a person who can tell a good story and – and knows what they're trying to get can capture what they need with whatever tools they have at their disposal. Shoot I mean, with if a purpose, you, yeah. If you hand a red to somebody who doesn't know how to how to tell a story, you're maybe going to end up with pretty footage if they know how to run the red, which I think is probably doubtful because if yeah. you don't know how to tell a story, you probably haven't gathered the skills to run a red. But you know, you're you're just going to have a bunch of pretty shots, yeah, and you're not going to have have a, a good storyline yeah and the story and 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 we're going to do and i keep getting asked when we're going to do a story like storytelling podcast and we're going to i just want to have time to like sit down and really dive into that one because i don't want to want it to be good and i I mean i could 
I could kind of half-heartedly go about it, but I don't want to do that. Um, but I think it's I think if you understand the story part of it, it doesn't matter what camera you're running, uh, as long well, as well. There's I, I I can name two shows that are on TV, the Outdoor Channel, the Sportsman Channel, right now that they both use a Sony 4K. It'll do 4K at 60 frames a second, Handycam. Yeah. So I mean, you don't need you don't need a giant cinema camera or six thousand dollar DSLR. Um, I mean, and they're not they're not awful shows. The quality is really good. So you don't need a, a giant cinema camera to. And for someone starting out, that camera is going to have way more functions and be able to get way more be, way better video than you're going to be capable of for a couple of months or even a year. So um, it's something you can definitely grow into as well. Yeah. So and a lot of these um, a lot of these handy cams aren't going to have a lot of manual functionality but like the XA10 that you had like it would have it had selectable buttons to where you could use the focus ring to be focus or iris or zoom correct yeah it had it had a manual switch and an auto switch on both the the um the handle and the camera and on the handle auto or manual just changed whether you did auto um audio or manual audio but then on the camera it would let you change your all of your settings um, manually, all your iris and your shutter speed and your gain or ISO, whichever one you use, it would let you do that manually as well. Yeah, so you, you essentially can get your feet wet with manual functionality. Correct. Yeah, which is which is important because that's 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 what separates that's what separates a cameraman from a producer and I think it's got the the separation is the storytelling and understanding how to run your camera in manual and being confident in it. That's the separation in my opinion. Um, right. And another thing you're not going to get in the, in the handy cams is going to be all the color profiles and shooting styles and things like that. But for someone running that camera, more than likely you don't need that either anyway. So yeah, for sure. Well, um, do you, do you know, are you familiar with any of the, you know, I know you just recently bought an FS five, so you stepped into the cinema camera game, but do you have a, uh, a recommendation for some models or some uh, some things like that, or some cameras that are out now that we, you would recommend? Um, yeah, I did some research last night, and I kind of got um, three from Canon and three from Sony, all in different price categories. They have one. Um, Sony has one. It's the X70, and I'm a giant gear junkie, so my notes are kind of ex- uh, extensive on this. Oh, I'm um, sure people eat it up. So it's a the Sony X70. You can do 1080 um, at 60 frames a second. It's got a 48 times zoom, um, and that's on that's 1800 bucks. Um, they have another one that's t- got the same specs. It's two years older. They have that down for 1300. Um, and, and then they have one. It's the Z90V. You can do 4K at 60 or 1080 at 120, and that'll give you a 48 times zoom, and that's 2600 bucks. So really, for there's a lot of there's a lot of cinema cameras that can't do 4K at 60. Now, you might get a slight crop. I didn't look that up. But you can definitely do – if you're die hard on doing 4K 60, you can definitely get that for 2600 bucks from Sony. Yeah, that's cheap. And then um, Canon, that whole XA line. Like I had the 10. They make a 10, 20, and the 30. Um, and the only difference in the 10, 20, or 30 is the – the zoom range. So obviously the 10 has a 10 times zoom. The 20 has a 20 times zoom. Um, and those do 1080 at 60 for like 12 or 1300 bucks. Um, 
Canon makes an XF400, which is a little bit bigger body camera, but it's got a 30 times zoom. You can do 60 frames in 4K or 120 and 1080, and that's 2,500. Um, and then one that they actually discontinued that they weren't selling enough of, but whatever they um, had already made, they put on sale for 1600 bucks, and that's Canon's XA15. It's a 20 times zoom. You can do 1080 at 90 frames a second. And that was and that was fifteen hundred, uh, sixteen hundred. Yep, sixteen hundred bucks. Yeah, I'm writing all this down because I get these questions a lot, and I'm just going to tell them what you just told me. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, I can, I can send you all the, the 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 specs that I have. But sweet. Now the question I have is, like you said, there's those some of those cameras will do four K sixty, and some of your HD or DSLRs may not do that. Is there a difference in like uh, megabits a second or anything like that, or the the look of that 4K? Because I know not all 4K is always, I guess, quote unquote, created equal. So, and I haven't ran one of those, so I couldn't say objectively. Um, have you found any differences really in the differences in the 4K between the two? Yeah, like I know a lot of the new Sony mirrors, mirrorless. Their 4K is actually like. 3.5 or 4k down sample to fit 4k mm-hmm. um so i'm going to assume a lot of these and i can read into it a little bit more but i'm going to assume it's it's 4k quality and it's down sampled into a 1080 size frame so that when you bring it back into editing it's not going to fit on a 4k timeline but it's going to be 4k quality meaning like if you shoot true 4k and put it on a 1080 timeline you can zoom it you can zoom it in or out to crop and I'm and right. I don't think you can I don't think you can do that with this 4K but I think I would assume it's higher quality than the 1080p but even most people most people aren't going to be able to see the difference in 4K and 1080 no no I was just I was just wondering like if you compared 4K on I guess an FS FS7 or an FS5 to 4K on one of those cameras if there's a difference in how it looks I don't know. Yeah, I, I've I don't know. Before. I don't know if there's. A, I don't know if there's a giant difference. I mean, there's definitely a more cinematic look on the bigger like FS fives and sevens and things like that. Um, but as far as like, I'm assuming the file size is bigger, definitely for sure. And I am about ninety percent sure it's four K downsampled into a ten eighty clip, so you're not going to have that that editing ability for punching in and things like that. Okay. Yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah. Um. So. Some of the some of the things with those cameras. What are some some things that you learned filming with a handy cam? Some tips and tricks that maybe maybe you can't do with a big camera. I know the size is going to be a big factor in that. But what are some of the things that you learned running them that could be an advantage to some guys out there that are running that kind of camera? Um. Well, yeah, size for sure because those bigger cameras, um, it they are sometimes cumbersome to carry. So having the smaller one is a little more positive in your mind to carry around. Um, but they're a lot simpler to use. So if you don't need all of the fancy stuff and all the customizable buttons and all these, um, features that you pay for when you buy one of those cameras, it's definitely a better option. If you know, you just want to hit record. If you know, you want to be able to run your camera, your camera in manual, but you don't want all these buttons you have to worry about and things like that, then these are definitely good cameras because like the one I had, it was not the the top of the line handy cam but i could run everything in manual um and make it look good and and things like that so plus people starting out usually don't have someone that's really into the filming with them 
and they're like going out and begging people to let them like get filmed. So having that smaller camera, it's probably something that's overlooked. Having that smaller camera in someone's face might not be as intimidating as having that giant camera. Um, and you might get some, some better talent interaction with that as well. Yeah. And you're not going to draw near as much attention to yourself. Right. You know, because you walk around with a big camera, man, people start asking questions. They start getting weird. But if you have a little camera in your hand, you can about bring that thing into wherever you want. You know, I remember we've tried to get into, um, we've tried to get into some like big, like big name box stores before and film some stuff. And dude, you roll in there with a big camera, they're running you out. You know, you're not supposed to film in those places, but you run in a little handy cam, you can run in, film some stuff, run back out, and nobody's ever the wiser. Oh, yeah. I tried to, um, when I run 90% of the time when I'm running my mirrorless and it's not in a tree, I have it on a gimbal and I tried to find film Dan in a Casey's gas station in Iowa on my gimbal and the lady like completely freaked out. Yep. So that is, yeah, that's definitely one of those things you can kind of stuff it in your jacket or something like that and, and get in and film something. And it's not illegal to film in those places. They just don't want you filming because they think you're filming to, well, to it's stage a, a robbery or something. Well, it's a liability most of the time. Yeah. You know, most of the time if they, if they catch some worker or somebody in the store doing something they're not supposed to do, then they can get sued too. So that's, and I understand that like Walmart's really bad. You're not supposed to take them into Walmart's generally any big box. You're not supposed to film in. So um, and if you do want to, you know, just as a tip, make sure you go and ask permission beforehand. And um, tell them tell them what you're going to use it for as well. Yeah. And it wouldn't be a bad idea, too, to get a relocation release. A lot of times you find the person in charge, get them to say on camera, hey, my name's, you know, Billy Joe, and, you know, you do have permission to film in Home Depot, you know, or right. whatever. And then go on about your business or whatever the deal is. But just a good good tip. So, what else? What else? I know you. I know you were thinking about. Um, you were thinking about this last night when we were talking. with some other stuff that you had, um, for the handicap stuff? Um, as far as like tips and tricks. Yeah, anything, or... man. Yeah, I mean, just I want to. I, I want. I want guys listening that are looking to buy a camera. I think you just gave some really good camera recommendations. What can they expect? What What are they going to expect to get? What are they going to expect to? Um, you know, what's the footage going to look like? How are they going to? Under, you know how hard is it going to be to understand their camera yeah the the understanding part i mean all cameras run basically the same so if you have a camera or have you at least held a camera all cameras are going to have some type of focus ring they're all going to have some type of record button they're all going to have some type of way to change the zoom so it's just figuring out where they are and being able to get to them easily without looking at them or having to fumble around with them um but you're not going to get the super shallow depth of field that you're going to get with a DSLR or with something with an interchangeable lens where you can get an F 2.8 or an F four. Um, I do remember mine, what, uh, my aperture would open up on that camera to a 2.8. But once I zoomed in a few millimeters, it went right back. It went right to three, five and then four, six. So they're variable changer changed apertures. So you're not going to get a, a constant 2.8 aperture at 48 times zoom. That's not going to happen. So that's going to cut down on the cinematic feel a little bit. Um, you're not going to get all those col- color profiles that are log and flat and cine 4 and all that kind of stuff. But more than likely, if if you're looking at this camera, you're not color grading or, or needing to color grade or anything like that. I mean, I run 
the FS5 and I still don't shoot in log. I shoot in a flatter profile, but I'm not shooting in log because I don't have the time or the money to figure out how to color grade. Yeah, me and so, Ryan were having that conversation this morning. Yep. I mean, I, I, I shoot it flat just so I can make it look how I want it to look, but I'm not I'm not shooting everything with 19 stops of dynamic range so I can make it look like Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I think the, I think the, all that's, you know, some really good information for somebody that's going out there to look and buy their first camera. And if you can, you know, if you can't afford $2,500 camera, but you really want to go out there and, and, and get started, dude, go to Walmart and buy you a five six hundred dollar camera. But just or buy them, you buy them used. Buy them used. Oh my gosh, I'm all about some buying used life, man. You know that. But just remember too, the camera is a large part of a you know of, of telling a good story. But you're going to eventually need if you don't buy it in the beginning. Once you start getting you know your feet wet with filming. You're going to want to buy a tripod. You're going to want to buy a microphone. You're going to want to buy a camera arm. You're going to want to buy wireless mics. You're going to want to buy all the things. All the things. It doesn't stop. You wanting to buy things never stops. And nothing it is, doesn't, it nothing doesn't is cheap. Yet, uh, well, how much was that screw off the tripod? God. Have we talked about that on the podcast no. yet? No. You, you tell that story. Well, you're going to make me tell it because yeah, I was gonna, the one who broke it. I am. So I took I took Caleb's tripod that I kind of want to steal because I like it more than mine. Uh, <laughs> it's I, the baddest tripod ever. Uh, it's a great tripod. <laughs> it what is the head? It's a Sackler. It's a so- Sackler. I don't know. I have to go in there and look. It's virtually the FS DV 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 six SB or something. I don't remember. Yeah, we could run in there and check if we wanted to. Uh, and then it's on Miller sticks, but the thing is super sturdy. And I took it to my last trip in Colorado. Because Caleb was here, and uh, I was running the FS7 with a 150 to 600. And my my tripod that I usually run just doesn't quite support that. Uh, for whatever reason, the brakes aren't as good. Uh, so anyways, I was running that, and I came back, and I was messing with the, one of the set screws or the brake screw, screws for the tilt on the head. And... I was screwing it, and then all of a sudden, it just came off of it, the screw broken half, basically. So there's still part of the screw in the head. And then I was holding the tab that you used to tighten it. And uh, you walked I, into my office with it. Yeah, I walked. You walked in. into my office when you're like, "Hey, uh, this, uh, this kind of, uh," and I was like, "Oh, it's not a big deal. It's you know." I, I was like, "I can't believe I haven't broken myself." I thought I was telling the story. Yeah, you were. You go just ahead. took over the story. Sorry, go ahead. Like you were going to tell the good part of the story. <laughs> go ahead. Let me tell all the bull crap, and then you <laughs> tell the good part. Gosh, dang it. Freaking producers. <laughs> um, so I go in there, and I told him that it had come off, and I think it's from abuse that Caleb has caused it over it the years. It 100% is. I was just the f- – whatever I did was the final straw. No, I, blam- I didn't – 99% was Caleb's I'm blaming fault. it on you. You're the one that was holding it when it broke. You're getting the blame. Yeah, whatever. I don't know about that. <laughs> Anyways, we go to look for this screw, and it is $70. <laughs> the screw is $70 yeah. to replace. Like only it, one if, place sells it. Only one place sells it. It's $70 because I guess maybe it's got a special little tab on it. I don't know. And they know that you need it. Like, you can't really – you can, but you really can't run that that, no. that tripod I head without that, the screw. That screw is 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 handled 
a hundred times a day when you're running mm-hmm. your camera. So you have to have it. Yeah. So the screw is seventy dollars. So you can imagine everything else is exorbitantly expensive. And the the tripod is the DV six SB from Sockler, and Ryer broke it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that I broke it. I think that it was broke. And it just came you, apart in my hands. Let you take my gear one time. <laughs> <laughs> everything else was good. Yeah, everything every, else was fine. I so didn't far, break we haven't else. went through everything. So far, everything's good. <laughs> Ryder's getting butt hurt over here. I probably should stop talking about it. But anyway, I th- can we bring up flight records? Maybe flight records. Yeah, oh, flight records. How many times I've crashed drones versus you? Oh I think yeah, you've no. got me beat. Yeah. Oh, a hundred. I know I've got you beat there. Um. So, but, but yeah, you're going to want to buy the things and you're going to start looking into a better tripod, a better camera, a better lens, a better everything. And just go ahead and brace yourself. It's expensive. I had a guy comment on the redneck tech. The reason he should win the hat is because he has spent thousands of dollars and now his wife hates me and him. <laughs> join so, the club, buddy. Yeah. Join the club. <laughs> exactly. So, um, Talk about freelancing. So you you've you've recently done some freelancing for some you know some Sportsman's Channel shows. What's your what's your take on that? How are you enjoying it? Um, I love freelancing just because I love going out. Like all hunters love. Oh, I want to go to the Midwest. I want to go to the Midwest. I want to go to the Midwest. And I don't have the money to pay all these outfitters to go out west and hunt and go to the Midwest. So the next best thing is being there and filming them. So definitely all the, like I've been to Missouri and Nebraska four or five times. I just got back from Iowa, which was awesome, but it was freezing cold. Um, I've been to Texas, Louisiana a couple times. So it's awesome. Um, Luckily, I have the real estate and the wedding stuff to to fall back on just because, like I said, it is kind of expensive to get me places. Not because I charge a lot, but just getting me there. Um, you're either going to wait three or four days for me to drive there or you're going to pay five or 600 bucks to fly me there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, I don't, I don't get the hunting stuff as much because of that. Um, but the hunting stuff that I do, I love it. Um, and I always, I always try to make that good first impression because 90% of the people I'm filming, I've never met, be, met before. So when they're meeting me, they're in that high stress situation of like, you're filming me for something important. I have to kill something. Don't screw it up. Um, but other than that, I, I love the the freelancing stuff. I think it's awesome. Well, for somebody that's just getting into it, you know, what are some things that you've learned? You know, I think I think some things that people want to know about is working with people. Um, you know how you you know how you handle your gear, how you travel with your gear, how you deal with that stressful situation when an animal's coming in. Like, what are some of the things you've learned in your you know in your couple freelancing gigs? I think the most important is making that person that you're filming feel as comfortable as possible with you as short as possible. Um, and like, don't act like a producer the entire time, making them talk into the camera and making them do all these stage shots. Like ask them, like I'd never met Dan from wildlifers in my life. And we probably talked for 45 minutes on the way to the property about all the guiding that he does. And he was really big into photography, so we got to talk about photography a lot. He's and a I great, just think he's a great photographer. He's an amazing photographer. And I think it sounds cliche, but almost trying to be their friend um, before their producer, because if they feel more comfortable around you and you're not just some camera kid um, for the week, they're they're gonna feel more comfortable 
talking into the camera that you're standing behind when you have to do interviews or, or do dialogue or things like that. And that's ultimately going to make your production value go up because you're not getting those very robotic type of type of interviews. Yeah. Um, it's almost more like they're talking to you versus the camera. Yeah, they're talking to you instead of at you. Right, correct. Yeah, that's that's um, a really good tip. I think Ryder's kind of Ryder's gotten to go. You know, he you spent a lot of time with the same guy for a long time. You know, you spent a long time with Mark, and now you've gotten to go with mm-hmm. a bunch of different people. So you know what kind of you can almost kind of speak to this too. What's some of the things that you've learned when you now that you're now that you're starting to get to go with different clients, you're getting to go with different personalities, different places, long trips, short trips. You know, what are the, some of the things that you've learned? Uh, I think I'd definitely parrot what said as far as making them feel comfortable um always being positive too I mean you yeah, talked about that yeah always being positive which um I just I am by default so I if somebody wants to go somewhere somebody wants to do something somebody wants if we're getting up early if we're staying up late if we're going to do this I mean it's I'm just a yes man if, mm-hmm. and if they ask me if we're going to go do this I said you know if you want to go do that let's go do that if they want mm-hmm. a shot unless it's ridiculous but <laughs> Most of the time, if somebody wants a shot and they say, hey, l- let's try this shot, well, I'll try it, even yeah. even if I know in my head I'm not going to use that shot. Mm-hmm. You just do the shot and make them happy. And, you know, there's been there's been times where somebody recommends a shot and it works out pretty good. We just, on this last trip, one of the guys that we were with had a, had this kind of interview thing that he wanted, like a joke interview that he, that he wanted to do where he was basically making up all the wrong information for the interview and I was correcting him. Um, and uh, that didn't come out of my head, but 100% yeah. I'm going to use that because it's funny as crap. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is being confident in yourself and your abilities is yeah. important. And you have to be a little bit of, uh, I guess, kind of, you have to, it's a weird sort of role when you're a producer, especially on somebody else's hunt, because you do have to kind of lead them through and you have to tell them to do certain things. But you're not really their boss, so you don't really have authority, but you have to act like you do sometimes. I'm Chuck's boss. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> you and Chuck. You and Chuck got a special relationship. Right, and I think, I think like, there's they hired you because they think your work is good enough to film them. So, obviously, mm-hmm. the way that you do things and the things that you do have a production value to them. So, there's kind of a fine line of doing what they want and getting the shots that they want, but then also trying to make them understand, like, um, not being rude about it, but like you did like what you see from me and my work. There, there's certain ways that I do that mm-hmm. um, and, and making them feel comfortable and confident like that. I might not do things exactly the same way that the guy last week filmed you did them. Mm-hmm. But if I'm getting the correct shot and it's not it's not wasting time or making us late or making you feel uncomfortable or it's not illegal. Like it, it, it's going to come out well. I well, think there's a fine line with well, there, that. There has to be a trust. There has to be a rapport. There has to be a constant line of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, being their friend, having trust, making them comfortable, and being positive, and then being confident in yourself. Man, that's that's a winning combo, you know. And I think doing and, I, and, I, and working hard. I think yeah, is working another hard. One. Yeah, for sure. I think. And I think another thing is like if you're freelancing. For the love of God, please watch their content before you go film them. Like before I filmed for Dan and Wildlifers, I'd never watched a single show. But from my flight from Jacksonville to Des Moines, Iowa, I watched three seasons of their stuff. Because you don't want to go out and 
film everything all super cinematic and fancy and and all these pretty sunsets and then they get their footage back and they're like yo what are you doing we're like a robust let's go get it unedited raw type of show and then completely opposite you don't want to go out and just freehand everything and uh kind of raw film everything and then get it back and they want to be like heartland bow hunter where everything's like cinema quality so that's definitely something you need to do as well especially if you're going to freelance and film for for multiple different people you should always do your own legwork your own homework on who you're working with um you said earlier that you kind of kind of went the same route that i did trying to get started you went around traveled and hunted with people for about two years before you started charging well if you don't mind like you know when you were first starting out you know your first paying client you know what were you charging like what could somebody that gets comfortable with their camera that goes out and is going to go film somebody's hunt. What you know? What are you looking at making? Yeah, so I started filming my freshman year of college, which would have been the fall of fourteen, and the first time I ever asked someone for money would have been the fall of sixteen, and I was charging like for like for daily rates, not for weddings, but daily rates. I was charging one hundred and fifty dollars a day, mm-hmm. um, and obviously working at that rate, you're working a long time before you actually like start making money back on the gear that you bought. Um, but you also have to understand that, you know, I would only been doing it for two years and yes, I was self-taught. Um, and I thought at that time I was pretty good, but I wasn't worth $150 a day at that point. Yeah. Well, and that beats the heck out of nothing too. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the first, the first client I ever had, I guess you could call them a client. They were just, they were getting in the outdoor industry. They were a clothing company. Um, and they wanted to get in, they were a Western, a Western camouflage company and wanting to get into the whitetail market. So they asked me to do a lot of whitetail content for them and they had just got it started. I was just getting started. So it was kind of like a, Hey, if you buy our, uh, buy our gear, we'll pay your way to go on these hunts and film for us. And one thing led to another. So I wasn't really getting money that way, but I wasn't losing money except for what I bought on, bought the camo, um, and things like that. So there is kind of give and take. Um, but one thing I would definitely praise and preach is get stuff in writing. Like an email is not going to do it. Get someone to somehow sign a document and send it to you so that you always have it. Because when you're new, people are going to try to take advantage of you because oh, they sure. think they think you're stupid. Yeah. And well, and a lot of them, a lot of them are like, you know, he he's he's getting paid to go on a hunt or he's getting a free hunting trip to go with me to film. I shouldn't have to pay him money. You know, right. a lot of them have that, or, and a lot of them, I remember when I was, you know, younger, a lot of guys, they'll try and tell you, well, we didn't kill anything, so I don't have to pay you. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. That that's, doesn't cut it. That's wrong, buddy. <laughs> Hate it for your luck, but just because you didn't kill anything don't mean I don't get paid. So, uh, another thing, another thing you'll try to hear is, but look at all the exposure I'm going to oh, give you. Oh, God, dude. Well, well, the, my first response is, is I can't write a check that says exposure to my, like my phone company and state yep. farm insurance. Yep. And another thing is like 90% of the time when you watch videos on YouTube or um, Instagram or Facebook, unless the production company shares it, you have no idea who made that video. Yeah. There's, there's never down in the YouTube comments like, oh, this production company made it, blah, 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 blah. So unless – like photos, people are a lot better at giving photo credit, but it's very rare do you see companies giving like video credit and things like that. So don't let them throw you that exposure card either. Yeah, well, and I can tell you from experience that, that getting tagged in something doesn't bring a lot of business in the door. 
Um, no, the business that comes in the door comes from you, from word of mouth, from networking, from relationships. That's where you get business. Getting tagged in a picture, that don't do nothing. It d- yeah. doesn't hurt anything. I think it's really good. Now we love to see our work get put out there and get credit for it. Uh, and it gets us, you know, I mean, I, I guess it helps us a little bit because that's where we got, you know, a lot of listeners to this podcast. But like you said, that does not pay the bills. No, it does not. So, um, so you're still, you've got a little bit of school left. You've got how, how much longer in school? Um, if everything works out and they teach the correct classes when they're supposed to teach them, I should be done a, a year from, from this December. So December 2020 is December. when I should be done. December 2020. So what are you, um, what are you working on right now? What, what are some skills that you feel like that, you, that you're really hon- honing and working on right now? Um, I definitely think that obviously the the cameraman getting the the correct shots and the storytelling, um, but I think even at my age, with as um, personable as I am and um, how well I get along with people, I think I have really come into that producer role because people trust me, people can look at me, um, and 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 trust me on shoots, um, and really I've always done all of my filming, all of my editing, so um, I've. I really taught myself the whole storytelling thing, like even doing the the shoot with you where nothing really happened. <laughs> nothing um, happened. But I, I realized even in the 10 minutes that we did that, that night shot, like I would have filmed 1,700 clips in that night shot, and I think you filmed four and deleted one of them. Which, which uh, hold on, remind me of what we're talking about? Sounds about right. When, <laughs> me and Caleb when are about we were the same. Doing, we, we, do, we did the shot with Jamie out in this parking lot, and he was doing the whole headlamp with the tackle box thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I remember that. I couldn't remember what shot yeah, you were talking I, about. Yeah, I think we, we set everything up for about 15 minutes, and about four seconds later we were done shooting. And, and, and I look, and I'm like, then that that's it. I would have been out here for another forty five minutes filming stuff. So yeah, that's def that's definitely something. I mean, and if you're a freelancer and you don't edit, that's not that's something you're not gonna learn unless you start editing and having to look through your seven thousand clips that you filmed in eighteen minutes of filming. Yep. Um. So I definitely think that I've definitely gotten a lot better on editing since I've been filming. Um. But like I said earlier, I definitely want to get better at, at that after effects stuff because that is something that. They're very, very subtle, but they definitely add a lot of production value. And there's something, it's something that's not used as creatively as it could be in the outdoor space. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's, there's a huge demand for it. There are ways that it can absolutely add to your production. Um, we do sub some of that at sometimes. And I also think there's some productions out there that use way too much of it. Yes. I think it can be used as a crutch sometimes. Um, so it's, it's one of those necessary evils i guess you know but and i know the guys that do it make a lot of money and that's all they do and i remember we used to get quotes for graphic opens um yep. when we did full-blown show our graphic opens i mean the the open the 30 second open was thirty thousand dollars yep and another thing is a lot of the not a lot of them but some of the shows you're watching or the, the youtube web series where they have those really cool transitions and stuff like that. That's all after effects, but it's just templates. Yeah. They're taking an after effects template. They're throwing it in premiere and then they're putting the, the clips or the photos underneath it in their timeline. And then they're just rendering it and it, it's making the after effects clip itself. Yeah. So to, to, I think there's a lot of that, the after effects that is being used is a lot of that type of stuff. So I think creating your own and making the stuff exactly how you want it and look different definitely adds your production value as well. 
for sure. Well, dude, if you don't have anything else, man, that was awesome. You got anything else to add? Um, I th- I think that's it. I mean, yeah. I definitely think um, I learned the hard way by all of the the mics and the tripods and the heads the the best quality you can because at some point in your career you are going to upgrade your camera. Um, so obviously you're filming with the camera, but those tripods like well, like you, you've had your tripod in your head for how long? long and I've time. had I've had the same tripod legs and head since I started in fourteen. And those cost t- together more than the camera that I bought. Yeah. So, oh, my tripod head and my my fluid head and my sticks together cost three times what my first camera did. <laughs> and they they they've made you so much money, and yet if something happened to them and you had to buy another one, but it's you'd, not even choke. To me, it's not even about the money. To me, it's not about how much money they've made me. It's how much nicer they've made my life filming. Yeah, how it's much, a lot easier. How much easier things are. By having a piece of gear that you can count on, that's always going to work, that does the things that you want it to, that you don't have to fight it all the time, I think that is that is worth the extra money because you can look at a you can look at a three hundred dollar tripod and think you know what that'll get done what I need done, and then you look at that thousand dollar tripod and you'll be like, there's no way I can afford that. Why would I ever need that? Well, that thousand dollar tripod, I guarantee you, is. 10x better than that 300 dollars tripod well and if you're running a steady or if you're running a handy cam or you're running a small dslr with a small lens on it you don't need the giant like like i run the giant manfrotto 5 legs that are the the, the carbon fiber but the, the, the legs are the size of your arm like you don't need that that's 100 percent overkill but you can't take an fs5 an fs7 a cinema camera and throw it on a $125 tripod you got at Best Buy. Like, it's definitely, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get anything good. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, dude, I appreciate it. Ryer, you got anything else? I don't think so. I think we covered all of it. Don't think so? Well, Clay, dude, I will see you, if nothing else, I will see you at ATA show, correct? All righty. Yes, you will. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No problem, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right. See you.